Good morning. Better yet, Merry Christmas. All right, the title of the sermon today is The Three H's of the Christmas Story. But before we get in, um, you know, you're always looking for visuals or when you're putting your sermon together. And, and I came across this particular picture um, as I was putting uh, the sermon together, and it just struck me. And I'll tell you why it struck me. And I don't know as I can adequately convey this, but what do you like best about Christmas? And what do you like best about the Christmas story? Well, I'm going to tell you what I like. I like feeling like I'm home. Tom said something earlier in his meditation, and I thought he was right on the money. Family. Well, I want you to know something. You're my church family. How many of you know the song that says, Blessed Be the Tie? Raise your hand if you know the song, Blessed Be the Tie. Blessed Be the Tie that Binds. Well, the tie that binds every single one of us together. You know, I had to chuckle. I, I, you know, you love your kids, but Braxton, Braxton actually broke out the Christmas sweater today. And I had no idea he was going to do that, but when he walked in and sat down, I could see that we've got the Christmas sweater on. And, uh, and, and you, know, I, you know how this goes. I mean, I love sitting here, and I love sitting with my family, but you are my church family. And the tie that binds us is the Spirit of God. Merry Christmas. I, I want to say thank you. Many of you, I've had the opportunity to get to know you this year, and you are salt of the earth people. You are fantastic folks, and I hope that God blesses you until your cup overflows. And for those of you that are visiting today, you're visiting a place where we worship in spirit and in truth, and we're thankful that you're here. In fact, let's pray. Let's pray together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for letting us be here today, and I thank you for all those that are in this place. But, Heavenly Father, I also pray for my brothers and sisters that are meeting all around the county and all around the world. And, Heavenly Father, I pray for them, and I pray for their success, just like I pray for us, and I pray for our success. May we lift up the name of Jesus, Lord. May we worship in spirit and in truth. May we truly be thankful in this time and in this season. Heavenly Father, you blessed us and have blessed us beyond measure. Heavenly Father, today is a day that we think about the day that it all started, and it's just awesome. It's awesome to think about what you have done for us and that you would allow your son to come to this earth and walk as a man. That, Heavenly Father, you cared that much about your creation. And that, Heavenly Father, we have the opportunity this week, today, tonight, with our, with our blood families on Wednesday. We have the ability, Heavenly Father, to lift up your name and to give honor to the Messiah. Heavenly Father, let us give honor to Jesus today. Let us think about the birth story. Let us think about different aspects of the birth story. And Heavenly Father, please bless our time together. And we thank you, Lord, and we love you. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, if you would, take your Bibles. Let's jump straight in. Take your Bibles and open up to Luke chapter 2. 
Okay, and the three H's of the birth story, I think, will become more abundant as we look together. But if you would, open up your Bible and go to Luke chapter 2. And you won't have to turn from that passage today, because that passage is going to be the text um, of our sermon. So if you would, open up and go to Luke chapter 2. And we're going to break this reading into three chunks. And so this first chunk will be verses 1 through 7. So let's read together. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in claws and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now that's the first seven verses, but I got a question for you before we go any further. Serious question. How many of you love to hear this story? You know, I don't want to get, I don't want to get too far off, but... A few Christmases ago, and I don't know how many Christmases it's been now, but Jeannie, um, she came up with this little book, and she gave it to Braxton, and before we had Christmas, she said she wanted him to read this particular, the particular story, and it was the story of Jesus' birth, and now it's like we do it every single year, and I'm going to be quite frankly honest with you, um, do I like opening gifts, do I like getting stuff? Oh yeah, but do I like hearing that the best of all. Amen. I do. I like hearing that the best of all. All right, I want to start with the first H, because this is something that I think sometimes we don't necessarily do enough justice to, and that is the history of the time. What was going on in this particular time frame? Well, I want to introduce you to somebody, because he was mentioned, he was mentioned in the reading a while ago. And you're looking, and I know this is just a statue, but you're looking at a statue of Caesar Augustus. But I want to tell you something that I think you'll find interesting, and it will be in the sermon later on. That was not really his name. Okay? His name was Augustus Octavian Caesar. Really, his name was Octavian. And I would like for you to look at this next slide because I think this is kind of interesting. And it says, in 27 B.C., Octavian was honored by the Roman Senate with the title Augustus. Now look at what Augustus means. Augustus means revered or more than human. Now, we're going to talk about the birth of the Messiah today. The Messiah. And here you have a mortal man who has been given the title of Augustus. And we're going to come back to that title 
uh, here in a minute because that title is going to come into play under a different H. But for now, I just wanted you to realize who is the leader at this time? A man by the name of Augustus Caesar, which has already been identified, and you know that he was a Roman emperor. Yes? All right, now here it is, and I know, and you know, so I actually picked three different slides because sometimes you're not sure which slide is going to be the actual best, but here it is. If you could really see the map well, and by the way, right in here, right in here is Jerusalem, and right there is Nazareth. So if you're looking at the map, then you're looking right in here. This is where we're talking today. But if you see the map itself, this is the Roman Empire. Now, it's got different shadings because obviously the Roman Empire was different at different times in history. Um, and so b because it's difficult to see, you know, to see, the, um, to see the, all of the shading, I picked a couple of maps where it was just shaded in its entirety. Now, what am I telling you? I'm telling you that at one point in history, this was the Roman Empire. Now, why does this matter? Well, I think it matters for several different reasons. I think it matters because we need to understand what was going on. What was going on was the Romans, at one point in time, had conquered all of these lands. And they had conquered this little bitty strip right in here. This little bitty strip that's smaller than New Jersey that we think is extremely important. And after they conquered this area, they ordered a census. Now, my question to you is, why did they order a census? Don't everybody answer at once. Why do you think they ordered a census? I put this on the screen. You can look at it with me. The census that was ordered by Caesar Augustus was the first of its kind. It was done because the Roman government wanted to make sure that everyone in the empire was paying their taxes correctly. The census was carried out all over the empire, most of Europe. But in Palestine, it was carried out in a Jewish way rather than a Roman way. This meant that families had to register in their historical tribal town rather than where they lived. This also meant that Joseph and the very pregnant Mary would have to travel from Nazareth to Bethlehem as this was the town that Joseph's family, the royal family of David, originally came from. This was a journey of about 70 miles. Some people think that Bethlehem could also have been Joseph's actual hometown and he traveled to Nazareth to collect Mary once they were betrothed, married to take to his hometown to initially live. Now, we can argue about that one way or the other. I don't know. But here's what I'm going to say. What I'm going to say is, and I want you to look at this slide because I think you'll find it interesting. But what I want to say is this. Hey, guys, what was going on? I'll tell you what was going on. The Romans had conquered most of the area all around Israel. And they had decided that there needed to be a census. And the reason why they decided there needed to be a census was because Rome could not support herself. It's estimated that at the height of its glory, Rome had between one and three million people living in it. 
Now, these one to three million people did not support themselves. They were supported on the backs of those that they conquered. Now, that's why I included this picture, because I want you to see something, and I want you to think about something, because, hey, I do think it's important that we think about the historical backdrop of this story. Hey, we just read in Isaiah a few minutes ago, my friends, when, when Isaiah says that his government, his government would not cease, do you really think people thought that the government that he was going to establish was going to be a spiritual government? What kind of government do you think they thought he was going to establish? What do you think they thought he was going to do? He was going to deliver them from the yoke of Roman oppression. Oh, he did deliver them from the yoke of oppression. But that yoke of oppression was sin. This would never have been tolerated in Jesus' day. Now, this is the backdrop upon which a very pregnant Mary and Joseph go from where they are at into the town where the census is taking place. This would have never been tolerated. This would have never been tolerated. If you were a conquered Roman area, your job was to support Rome. So, Justin, how many head of cattle you got right now? 350. 50. There's a big difference between 350 and 50. I will be coming to your house later to get 30 of them. Okay? Now, I want you to think about that. Now, I really am not, and I really don't want them. But if I did, and I came to your house to get them without paying you for them, what would you think? <laughs> you would think that's a heck of a census, wouldn't you? Listen, this would have never been tolerated. And what you see is you see a pack animal. And on that back of that pack animal are lots of different goods. This particular pack animal has stumbled and fallen. There is no stumbling. Listen, my friends, there's no stumbling and falling when it comes to Rome. There's no stumbling and falling when it comes to your taxes. There's no stumbling and falling when it comes to paying your fair share. Because your job, your job at this point in time was to support the Roman kingdom. Jesus Christ was born in a time where his country was occupied. Now, it's in this backdrop... And I want you to think about this because it struck me as I was making these slides. Two things struck me. The first thing that struck me was his mother, and I don't know, listen, I wasn't there, so I can't say for sure what she rode into town on, but what if she did ride into town on the back of a donkey? My Savior rode into Jerusalem before his crucifixion on the back of a donkey's colt. Wow. So maybe we have some very inauspicious beginnings coupled with what seems to be a very inauspicious ending. It's in this backdrop that Jesus Christ is born. But here's what I want to say. I've obviously never been pregnant. I know, that's a deep statement, yes? Now wait just a minute. Mary had her child basically the day that they arrived 
So she is making this very arduous journey on of 70 miles while she is just about ready to deliver. Now, all I know is, is that when Braxton was born and we went to the hospital, they hooked Jamie up to these machines. Now, I remember this one particular machine because it had a little graph on it. And what that little graph did was it actually showed when she was having a contraction. Since Braxton decided he was going to take so long to come into this world, I got to be pretty good at reading that machine. In fact, I got so good at reading that machine, I started predicting her contractions. Okay, well, here's what I remember. I remember that there came a juncture when I predicted a contraction, and I looked at my wife, and the look on my wife's face said, if you tell me I'm getting ready to have another contraction, I will kill you. <laughs> right about then, I decided that the best thing for me to do was be quiet. My, Mary didn't have any of this, Mary didn't have any of this care. I wonder if she was having contractions while she was traveling. I wonder what kind of pain she was in. I wonder what kind of discomfort she was in. Would they have made this trip had Rome not required it? Wow, what an interesting backdrop I find my Savior being born in. Next. The second H I want to look at, I want to look at humility. I want to look at the humility that our Savior has exhibited in his lifetime. And if you would, I want to consider, first of all, by being born in a stable. Now, there are those of you in here that have been lifetime farmers, there are those of you in here that have, that have handled cattle. Or, you know, it's funny because I was going out to a friend of mine's farm last night, and as I'm going out to his farm, just as I get to his farm, I look over to the right, and there is one of his cows having a calf 10 feet from the fence right next to the road. They pick the craziest places. So I get on my phone, and I call him, and I say, Hey, Jeff. I say, Hey, you, you might want to know you've got a cow down here having a calf right here next to the road. And it, she doesn't look like she's doing all that good. Well, I'm going to tell you something right now. I, I've been around animals long enough to know that when animals get in the barn and when animals, they're not the cleanest things in the world, are they? I've shoveled out, I've shoveled out and cleaned out horse stalls before. Mary and Joseph ended up in a stable, and their baby ended up in a manger. And if that is not humble beginnings, then I don't know what humble beginnings are. Let's see what the Bible says. Go back to your Bible, if you would. Go back to your Bible. Back to Luke chapter 2. What an, what an awesome story. What an awesome account. Luke chapter 2, and this time... We're going to read verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone about them, 
and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Can you imagine? Hey, hey, I love you. I love you guys, you're great people, but are you immersing yourself into the story? Are you thinking about what it would have been like if you had been out in the field? Are you thinking about what it would have been like all of a sudden for any of you who have ever been out late at night? I've been out late at night walking through a pasture. Can you imagine if all of a sudden the skies were illuminated and a great heavenly host appeared and they began singing and praising God? When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off, and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Look at the definition of humility, if you would. The definition of humility is a modest or low view of one's own importance, or the word humbleness. So I thought, well, then let's look at the word humble. And the definition of the word humble was of low social, administrative, or political rank. And then they even gave an example. And the example was, she came from a humble, unprivileged background. Well, you want to know the interesting thing about it? There are a lot of us in here who came from humble backgrounds. There are a lot of you in here who probably weren't born, you know, super, super rich. And maybe you came from very humble backgrounds. But how many of you in here were born in a stable and you spent some of your earliest hours in a manger? Uh, raise your hand. Don't make me come over there. You know what? None of us. None of us. And ladies, I mean no disrespect at all here when I say this, but those of you in here that have delivered children, you have nothing but my utmost respect, and I mean that from the bottom of my heart, but I seriously doubt that very many of you would have wanted to have delivered in a stable. Furthermore, I doubt that very many of you would have wanted to have taken your son or your daughter and placed them in a manger just mere hours after being born. Hey guys, 
I can tell you that I've seen a lot of changes in, in 27 years of education. But it's funny, and, and I know you're going to say that's a really a crazy thing to come into your mind, but here it is. In 27 years of education, you know, back when I first started, we didn't have, we did not have those hand sanitizer stations all over the building. And we seem to do fine, but now we have hand sanitizers in every single room. We have them stationed all over the building. We are one germ-free nation. No way you'd take your baby and put him in a dirty old manger. No way. The Savior of the world, the Messiah, came into this world in the most humble of circumstances. The Son of God, the great I Am, is lame in a manger. What did Jesus teach us? Did Jesus teach us that it was little big I, little you? Or did Jesus teach us that it was big you, little I? go back to Octavius just for a moment. You talk about arrogance. Revered or more than human? Kings set themselves up as gods. And the savior of the universe begins his life in a stable, lying in a manger. If that's not the definition of humility, then I don't know what it is. Look at some of these passages. Notice that it's in red, and what does it say? It says, very plainly, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. These are the words of the Messiah. The Messiah said, I'm okay with being humble. The Messiah said, I'm okay with humility. The Messiah said, I will put you before myself. The Messiah said, I will put you before myself. The Messiah said, how about if we go with a big you and a little I? Romans 12 and verse 3. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. How many of you believe in here, and I, I, I do want to know this, how many of you in here believe right now that to be a Christian means to be Christ-like? How many of us in here think that we've got room for improvement? I know I have room for improvement. A lot of room for improvement. I think sometimes if we're not careful by the virtue of being an American, we're not very humble. 
Interestingly enough, we looked at this woman a couple of weeks ago in a sermon. She says, if you judge people, you don't have any time to love them. Look at this. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Once again, what color are the words? Who spoke them? The Messiah. Now, I want you to look at one more thing. Interestingly enough, and I'm not going to delve into this a lot, but interestingly enough, I would like for you to look just real quickly, because I just stole just part of the verses. But if you look, you can see the picture. And you can see that it is a picture of someone washing someone else's feet. And um, when you go and you look in the Bible at that account of where Jesus washed his disciples' feet, and I just, I just pl plucked a couple of things out. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Now, I, I want you to consider that. He says, unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If you're not going to allow me to wash your feet, this is what he's telling them. If you're not going to allow me to wash your feet, he's being very strict with his disciples here. He wants to wash their feet. Now, I want you to be 100% perfectly honest, and you don't have to give me a show of hands, but how many of you people in here would just as soon not wash anybody else's feet? <laughs> Jamie will tell you that, Jamie will tell you that I've never really been a foot guy. Okay? <laughs> I don't know any other way of telling you that. Yeah, I know. <laughs> this is true. I may already be in trouble for the contraction story. But I'll tell you something right now. I'll wash your feet. Will we wash one another's feet? And I think you understand that this is not necessarily me talking about washing your actual feet. Okay? But I'll tell you what, I'll do it. And I don't like feet. And I'll tell you why I'll do it. Because Jesus Christ gave us the ultimate example of humility. And he is the most humble of saviors. And he is a man who came into this world with very inauspicious beginnings. And he is a man that walked the... You know what he said? He said, foxes have holes in the ground, but the Son of Man doesn't even have anywhere to lay his head. He didn't even have anywhere to lay his head. And he has blessed me beyond abundance. I have a wonderful family. I have a wonderful church family. I live in the land of plenty. Amen? You should also wash one another's feet. Let's go to the last H. Go to Luke, back to Luke chapter 2. And let's go to the, what I consider to be the funnest part of this sermon coming up, okay? And let's go to verse 21, and we're going to read from 21 through 40, and then that will conclude our reading today, okay? 
So let's go from 21 through 40, and that will conclude our reading. So here we go. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. The name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord. And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. By the way, is the Holy Spirit in this place? I sure hope so. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations." a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people, Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Can you imagine? Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary. Now, I would think this would mean more, probably a little more to some of you mothers in here than what, us men, what we men could understand. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And then listen to what he says. And a sword will pierce your own heart also. There was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Look up here, if you would. So, giving honor is the last H. The first H was history. The second H was humility. The third H today is giving honor. Now, before I go back and look at any of the scriptures, I just have a quick question. Do you believe, as a group of people assembled here today, do you believe that one of the reasons we came was to give honor to Christ? 
at this season of thanksgiving, at this season celebrating the birth of the Messiah, and I'll go on record as saying another thing. I'm glad we do it, and I'm glad we have a day, and I'm glad we have Christmas Day, and I'm glad we do all the things that we do. But what is the main point behind Christmas? The main point behind Christmas is to celebrate the birth of Christ. Amen? Ah, oh, I think we can do better than that. Amen? Amen. Amen. I think we should give honor. I think we should offer up the sacrifice of praise. I think that we should offer up the fruit of our lips. Because that's what the Bible says. The Bible says that you brought something with you today. What you brought with you was the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of your lips. The Bible also says that whatever you do and whatever you ask for, give thanks. Look at some of this real quick. I'm almost done. Look. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth peace on whom to those on whom his favor rests. This was the angels. The angels were singing this heavenly host were singing this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God. And then all of a sudden we get into the temple and here comes Simeon. And what does Simeon say? Simeon says, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you can now dismiss me in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation. My eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles, and the glory of your people, Israel. Simeon was moved with the power of the Holy Spirit when he said this. All hail the power of Jesus' name, let angels prostrate fall. Right? When we sing those songs, are we moved with the power of the Spirit? When we offer up our praise and the sacrifice of praise and the fruit of our lips, are we moved with the power of the Spirit? And then Anna comes up, and what does she say? Anna comes up, and she says she gave thanks to God. And she spoke about this child to anybody who was willing to listen. Why don't you bow your heads for just a second? Why don't you take a moment here? And I know you probably will with your families as well. Take a moment and give thanks to God. Give thanks to God. Praise his name. We have so much to be thankful for. God has blessed us beyond measure. As we and as you go into the rest of this Christmas season and this holiday season, give thanks. Give thanks as a family. Give thanks as a church family. Give thanks to God. Give Him honor. For He deserves it.
Heavenly Father, we come to you just now, and we thank you, Lord. Let us be moved by the power of your Spirit. Let us be moved. Let our hearts be stirred. Let our minds be refreshed. Let us feel a sense of peace and happiness. Heavenly Father, you have truly blessed us. Jesus, thank you. Thank you. Not only for what you've done, but for the example that you have provided. Heavenly Father, I pray that every single person in this room be blessed spiritually this Christmas season. That their cup would truly overflow. That they would love one another, support one another, uplift one another. And that, Heavenly Father, we would be a family. For I truly think that's what you want. We thank you, Lord, and we love you. In Jesus' precious and holy name I pray, amen.